Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicherian, former NFL scout and currently of Sports Info Solutions, joined as always by Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. Aaron, with Yom Kippur yesterday, I know it reminded me of the great Matt Bernstein game at Wisconsin, uh, where he went through the Yom Kippur fast and then uh, ran all over the defense and had some chicken bones on the sideline and all that good stuff. How was your Yom Kippur? Uh, it was uh, uneventful, which is, I think, what it's supposed to be. Yeah, I don't. It's uh, it's not exactly uh, an exciting holiday. It's not a party holiday. That. Um, well, we can uh, we can get to the party now. In that case, um, before we get into the NFL stuff, I had to bring up some really cool research that Bryce Rossler, one of our video scouts, put together, and it was about cover three beaters in the NFL. And just looking at what teams are running against the cover three, what what they're targeting against the cover three, and what's effective and what's working. And it's really interesting analysis. Uh, if, you, if you're not, uh, for people that aren't familiar with cover three, that means we're talking about there are three deep defenders, usually two corners and the free safety, and you'll have four underneath defenders in zone most of the time. Um, so a lot of times teams have attacked this a few different ways. Number one, curl routes. Teams throw a ton of curls in general. Teams throw a ton of curl routes against cover three. Um, you try to get the, the soft spots in the, in the short part of the zone. We saw 257 of those attempts last year, uh, 171 more in 2016. So you see a lot of those attempts, but they're only marginally effective. Um, in terms of expected points per play, you see um, kind of half an expected point on average, basically, over the course of two years. You also see some of, you know, seam routes are a big route that you'd expect to see against the cover three. You see a lot of teams running seams and having some success there. Um, receivers lined up wide running digs. That's a big, that's a big uh, target in this situation. But surprisingly enough, what we found was that when players were aligned in the slot and they ran a corner route. So if you can picture that with me, you're facing a cover three, you got a slot receiver running a corner route. And what you're really trying to do is distract him with the outside receiver running some short junk in front of that corner and getting the corner route in behind that corner. And uh, what we found there is that that's one of the most effective routes, both of the last two seasons. You see an expected points per play in the 0.8, 0.9 range. So you're literally earning a point. Um, on each time that these plays are run, not, not even just successful times, but times that they're run. Um, so we thought that that was just a fascinating little piece of research. Uh, the things that we find are not effective, the comeback route against cover three, very low return there. Um, so as you're watching games this weekend, keep an eye out. Tell me if you see any of those slot corners. Um, I was fascinated by that. So great job there by Bryce. And if you're wondering what teams that is, I went and looked at the SIS numbers on coverage from last year. Of course, the Steelers play a lot of cover three. The Seahawks play a lot of cover three. And all the Seahawks influenced defenses, which at this point means the Falcons, the Jaguars, the Chargers, and the 49ers. And then the Cleveland Browns actually played the highest percentage of cover three last year of any team. So those are the teams where you want to look for these routes. So interesting you bring up there, coming right in, we can segue into the games that we looked at last week. And one of them was the Chiefs against those Steelers who play a lot of cover three. And I remember saying last week, the big thing that I was looking forward to was Mahomes faced all zone in week one and absolutely crushed it. The Steelers zone was unbeatable in week one against the Browns. What what gave in this game? Well, Mahomes was 12 for 12 for 166 yards and four touchdowns versus zone. 
He's just been absolutely unreal this year, and especially against the zone. Yeah, this was a much bigger victory than the final score indicated. It was only 42-37 at the end, but the yards per play gap was 8.3 to 6.4. The DVOA gap was 59% for Kansas City and minus 55% for Pittsburgh. And what I think is most interesting is Kansas City went 2 of 5 on third down, which means they only had five third downs, which is yeah, a little Yeah, you talked about Canadian football, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It was it was the Steelers defense looks awful. And I realize that a lot of people are attributing it to, you know, this is how bad their defense has been since Ryan Shazier went out last year. But what Shazier that hurt primarily was the run defense. And they're having problems now in every part of the defense. And it can't all just be Joe Hayden being injured. And Hayden should be back this week. But I mean, if their pass defense plays that badly, given the way Tampa's offense has played, they're going to end up going to 0-2 and 1. Yeah, and I mean, sure, Shazier's a good player in both phases. Losing Hayden in the secondary also hurts, but but they've they've uh, really struggled. And then looking at it on the other side, Mahomes uh, really crushing it against the zone. The Steelers played a little bit of man against him, and Mahomes had had success. Obviously, six touchdowns, and so two six minus four is two. He had two versus man, but um, his five incompletions were all against man. And it reminds me of the article that Keegan Abdu wrote, our former Sports Info Solutions video scout and researcher uh, who wrote the article on Lamar Jackson that went up on Football Outsiders that really talked about how it's hard against athletic quarterbacks to play a lot of man coverage, especially man cover two, because these guys, your whole secondary is going to be turning their back to the quarterback. And, uh, you know, you want to have guys that can that can keep up with them. You want to spy them with linebackers and defensive linemen. But guys like Pat Mahomes can run around those those people too, and and he can have a lot of effectiveness with his legs. So interesting to keep an eye on as we move forward with with more athletic quarterbacks, and especially if they can play like this against the zone, then you really put the defense in a bind. You know who's an athletic quarterback that I generally normally would uh, not want to play man two against, but you might be able to get away with it now is Aaron Rodgers. Mm, that is true, um, and Aaron Rodgers. Um, we also touched on his game last week. The Packers played the Vikings. Um, I think by the numbers, Kirk Cousins actually play, outplayed Rodgers, the, the hobbled Rodgers. Um, Cousins had 8.9 yards per attempt for a 125 independent quarterback rating to just 6.9 yards per attempt and 107 IQR for Rodgers. Um, obviously, I'd rather be playing against the Green Bay secondary than the Vikings secondary. But this game came down to the kickers or the lack thereof, as many games did last weekend. Yeah, if you throw in the running running plays, it ends up being 7.1 to 5.0, which is not the kind of yardage gap that you usually get in a tie. So I think Green Bay really got outplayed here. But what's interesting is they really got outplayed after that penalty against Clay Matthews. I think before that, the game was pretty even, but Minnesota just put up so much offense in the fourth quarter and overtime, and they just kept missing kicks, but the offense was moving the ball really well in the, at the final part of the game. What was your take on that penalty call? I think it was terrible. Terrible, right? I can't believe that they're now going to be holding that up as a good example of when to call a penalty because it didn't look to me at all like he lifted the quarterback in any way. And I I don't know what else uh, you're supposed to do when you sack the quarterback. It it looked like a perfectly legal sack. Yeah, it seems to me like they're penalizing perfect form tackles at this point. I'm all about the, you know, see what you hit stuff. 
But uh, some of this stuff, get, and I get it, quarterbacks, they get paid a lot of money, all that kind of stuff. But it's a little bit crazy at this point. And it, honestly, it makes me like the sport a little bit less. If you can't go to the main body and you can't go to the legs, where are you supposed to go, right? I mean, that's the question. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're on the same page there. The third game we broke down last week was the Patriots and the Jaguars. Um, and the Jaguars did what I think we thought that they would do. Um, one thing that we were keeping an eye on there was what coverages were they going to run against Brady and how would Brady perform against lost them? You again. Well, here you go. Another crazy man versus zone split. Brady was just six for 13 for four yards versus man while he was 14 for 17 versus zone. So in this game, the Jaguars mixed in more man and it seemed to work. And the advanced stats are really crazy. When the Jags were in man, the Patriots lost over seven expected points over the course of the game. Brady was responsible for negative 4.6 points earned, and they had just a 13% positive play percentage. So really, really tough going for the Patriots against that the man defense there. Um, and mixing that in, it can be really confusing with all those single high looks from the Jaguars. And I think a big part of the reason why they're excited to get Josh Gordon is this is going to be the second receiver on their team that can really beat man. Yeah, I, I was really – I came away impressed most with Tashawn Gibson. Uh, I thought his coverage on Gronkowski, right? We talked a lot about how much Ramsey was going to cover Gronkowski, but it was mostly Tashawn Gibson, and he was excellent. But I think what I really come away with from this game is the Jacksonville offense, right? Jacksonville is actually currently higher ranked on offensive DVOA than defensive DVOA. And their offense was – I've never seen it that good, and it was pass-heavy. Right. Usually as soon as they get a lead, they go run heavy. But without Fournette healthy, they just stayed pass heavy all game long. Yeah. And one stat to back all that up, Blake Bortles actually is third so far in quarterbacks in points earned this year behind just Ryan Fitzpatrick and Phillip Rivers with 17.2 points earned already this season. So keep an eye out for Bortles and some improved play there within the context of the Jaguars offense. All right, Aaron, on that note, the Off the Charts football podcast is sponsored by Draft, the daily fantasy sports website that allows you to enjoy the most fun part of fantasy sports, the draft, on any day of the year. With Draft, you get all of the excitement of a snake draft with anywhere from 2 to 12 participants, and then your players compete. That's it. No need for researching salaries, monitoring the waiver wire, or waiting for the entire season to play out. With Draft, you can participate in daily, weekly, or season-long contests. Draft is easy with the average draft taking under 10 minutes. And since you're competing with real people, Draft gives you a better chance to win than many of the leading DFS websites. You can compete in football, baseball, basketball, hockey, golf, and more. And Draft offers easy, immediate cash payouts to all winners. Simply go to our special offer website at draft.com slash off the charts and sign up to receive a free entry. That's draft.com slash off the charts to pick up your free entry. All right, Aaron, we're back into it. Um, let's talk about the big games this week. What are the most important games for playoff odds? Yeah, absolutely. The most important game this week for the playoff odds is New Orleans at Atlanta. It's a combined odds difference of 51.2% between the two teams of how much this game is going to mean. Yeah, um, right. You know, here I look at New Orleans and just trying to figure out what to make of them right now. They're defense has really just been awful. The past defense, especially they've allowed a rating against of 133, 11.4 yards per attempt so far over the course of the year. 
that seems on paper like a, like a bad match for Matt Matt Ryan, but Matt Ryan's had a little bit of a slow start to the year. What are you looking for here? Well, it's interesting. Atlanta is only 24th in DVOA so far. They're 23rd on offense and 23rd on defense. So the Saints have been higher than them, even though the Saints did lose in week one. They've been 7th offense, 21st defense, but the offense has been really one-sided. The Saints offense is just 28th running the ball, uh, which is interesting because, you know, we were all so talking about Alvin Kamara and whether there was going to be regression towards the mean. So far, it's been regression past the mean and all the way to the other side. Um, it's interesting. The, the the defenses here are both uh, very one-sided. The Saints D has been number one against the run through two games, but 31st against the pass. The Falcons D has been 15th against the pass, but 31st against the run. So if this is a game for Kamara to get going, uh, I think this would be a good game for that. It's, it's, it's interesting to see the Falcons D because the losing Deion Jones and Keanu Neal are obviously really important players for them. But we've always said the same thing about the Falcons defense, which is it seemed like it was less than the sum of its parts. So I don't know how much it's actually going to decline without those guys, right? The Falcons defense has always had so much talent, and yet when you put all that talent together, it's below average. So I don't know how much worse it's going to get without those two guys. Yeah, I think the only thing that I, I really expect this week is is points. Um, I would expect lots of points and hopefully not too many missed kicks. Yeah, the Saints, um, the Saints offense is also going to – they've had a problem. They have so far been 27th in offense on third down, including 30th passing on third down. There is no way that that lasts. Yeah, as, as you know, analytics guys, we like to talk about how important it is to pass and teams should pass more and passing on first down and all, and all that stuff that we sing the praises of. But then, of course, you see a team like the Saints, and when the Saints seem to go wrong, it seems to be that they don't get the running game involved. They don't seem to get those on-schedule plays. They don't seem to get the volume of runs in a game. But I'm going to stick to my guns here, and I'm going to say that's that's more a, a – a product of what the Saints are doing in the passing game, I think. I think that when the Saints are passing the ball well and things are clicking in that part of their game plan, the running game follows. I think it's it's a little bit of a, a tricky proposition to think that the Saints are just going to run the ball well and then the passing game is going to flow from there. They've obviously got to find a way to get the ball into their running back's hands more. Just 36 carries so far over two games for the Saints. But – um I think that it's got to flow from the passing game being the thing that keeps them on schedule with nice seven yard passes on first and 10, rather than thinking that they're going to three yards and cloud of dust it, you know, and all of a sudden become a good team. Also look with that, the more they possess the ball, the defense is going to stop looking like, you know, 133 quarterback rating against type stats. I know that's a rate stat, but the saints seem to get better in terms of both rate and volume when, uh, when they balance things out a little bit better. The defense did start slow last year, so you can overcome this. They overcame it last year. Yep, they'll have to find a way to get get some more balance in there. The uh, All right, what's the next? Sorry. Yeah, the second most important game of the week is Tennessee at Jacksonville. We've already talked about the Jaguars a little bit, how impressive their offense has been, and just how balanced that team has been. Jacksonville right now in DVOA ranks between 8th and 11th in all five phases of the game. So if you split offense and defense into run and pass, that makes five phases of the game. And Jacksonville is between eighth and 11th on all of them. 
Yeah, they seem to be one of the most well-rounded teams in the league. Certainly look like the class of the AFC right now, having beaten the Patriots. Um, they'll have to prove it to me in, in January against the Patriots. But you've got to like the Jaguars in this game, right, Aaron? Yeah, I, I also think that, uh, you know, I, I still think that the Jaguars could have a little decline on defense when the injuries come, if they're not as healthy as they were last year, right? Right now, the defense is mm-hmm. totally healthy. But uh, th- there's no question that they look better than I would have expected, especially on offense. They look much better than I would have expected. The Titans, I'm not sure how they beat the Texans. They got outplayed by the Texans, and they beat them thanks to just really good circumstance and serendipity and that one special teams fake uh, touchdown, Kevin Bayard. The Titans' offense would actually drop from a DVOA of – Right now, right now we include fake punts and fake field goals as offensive plays, which is something that I'm I'm looking to change in the future. But for now, that's how we do it. Their offense would drop from uh, minus 24 percent to minus 31 percent if you take out that Bayard touchdown. So uh, you can't count on a fake punt touchdown like that every week. Yeah, that's uh, that's not going to be the way there. Looking on the Titans side, I know they had a, a weird week one. I don't know how how they're going to get the passing game going. Um, that's been a struggle so far, um, really bottom of the league in a lot of categories passing wise. Uh, you think that the receivers are there and you think that some of the scheme stuff this year was going to fall into place, but we haven't really seen that yet. No, I, I, I keep waiting for the, what is it? Matt LaFleur is his name, the new offensive, uh, coordinator. I keep waiting for the, the new scheme to, you know, make the offense work better. And they've still been really run heavy, uh, right. They were going to try to get away from that exotic smash bath stuff, but they've still been really run heavy this year. Maybe part of that is just making up for Gabbert. And when Mariota is healthy, it's not going to be like that anymore, but I don't know so far and so far that's how it's been. Yeah, uh, always easier uh, when you have your starting quarterback and not having to, to work around him. All right, one more game that we wanted to touch on this week, Green Bay versus Washington. I know you did a preview of this game for ESPN. What do you think here? Yep, this is by ESPN Upset Watch. The uh, Football Outsiders uh, picks actually came out with Washington as a slight favorite. I think people sleep on just how average Washington has been for the last two years. And I realize that that sounds like I'm damning them with faint praise, but it's better to be average than to be Cleveland. And Green Bay has been not as good as you know you think of them because you think of Aaron Rodgers. But so far this year, they're behind Washington. And when we incorporate the preseason projections in Dave, Green Bay is still 10th and Washington is 15th. That's not as you know that gap is roughly equal to home field advantage. Uh, It's interesting, Washington so far this year, in the red zone, they're 27th on offense and 24th on defense. On the other 80 yards of the field, they're 18th on offense and 4th on defense. So the likelihood is that their red zone performance will rebound a little bit to match the rest of their performance, which will help them overall. I mean, against Indianapolis, they forced four three and outs, and the Colts got all their yards packed into three 75-yard touchdown drives. It helps when you when you it, it's better to allow a bunch of drives of 30 yards than to allow three of 75, even if you stop the team on all the other drives. Right. The old bend, but don't break philosophy. Um, one, thing, one thing I'm looking forward to in this game is Washington's pass D. I think Washington's pass defense has been very good and, and people have slept on them a little bit. A lot of good players back there. They've allowed just 166 yards per game and they're fourth in the NFL, allowing a quarterback rating of just 67 against. 
Packers, on the other hand, allowed 298 per game with a 101 rating. I'd probably like to say that um, I, I like the bet of Alex Smith against that Packers defense um, even better than I like Aaron Rodgers against that Washington defense, especially being hobbled. But uh, this game looks to me like it's it's pretty close to a toss-up on paper. Yeah, pressure, baby. It's going to be pressure because Washington led the league in defensive pressure rate last year. Uh, Green Bay was 28th in offensive pressure rate allowed. Uh, and that they can't allow that much pressure from the Washington defense and the Washington front if they're going to keep Rodgers going, given that Rodgers doesn't have the mobility and the ability to make those crazy broken plays that he normally does. It'll be a different week. All right, Adam, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we get out of here? I'm dying to hear your thoughts on Antonio Brown and, and the implosion happening in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I think I said on Twitter, that's one of the reasons why when we do projections, we project a range of possibilities because you never know when a locker room is going to be totally implode and there's no statistical prediction for that. And that seems to be what's going on with the Steelers is everything's falling apart. But I, I feel this feels like one of those games this week against Tampa where like uh, sanity reasserts itself. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Ryan Fitzpatrick is not the best quarterback in the league. The Steelers do not completely suck. Like it feels like a game where sanity. Yeah, reasserts I definitely itself. know what you mean. You feel like almost like the, the Steelers will win. Okay, that'll everything will regress to the mean a little bit and it won't be so as crazy anymore. I'll be more shocked and we'll have much more to talk about if the Bucks come and are dominating once again. No, if the Bucks win this game, then we really have to take them super seriously, even though so far they've been the Kansas City Chiefs of the South, right? Kansas City is number one in offensive DVOA, last uh, – sorry, number one offensive, last defensive. Tampa Bay is number two offensive, 31st defensive. So basically both of those teams, it's all offense. As great as Fitzpatrick and Mahomes have been, their defenses have been terrible. So I look for Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown to have a big game. So do you week. think that as, as we get to 2018 and the rules have changed so much that we, we should stop thinking that, you know, offense sells tickets and defense wins championships because of the, uh, the rule changes and the way that, that offense is favored. And honestly, offenses can, can impact the game. Uh, seemingly in more ways now, you know, good offense is going to be good defense, especially with the way that the rules are constructed now. Is, is that maybe something that we should be looking at, that that offense is actually more important than defense in the modern NFL? I've always felt that offense is more important than defense. The way we, we put it is when you look at the range of, of, of general possible ratings, offense tends to be about 30 or 35% more important than defense. In, in other words, the best offenses are usually about 30%, not 30 percentage points of DVOA, but about 30% in stats, better than the best defenses. When you look at like the difference between an average defense and the best defense, and then you look at the difference between the average offense and the best offense. Right. So the way that I often put it is that a football team is four parts offense, three parts defense, one part special teams. So offense, I, offense has always been more important than defense. And offense is also not easier to build, but easier to trust. It's harder to build because you need that one guy. You need the quarterback. But once you have him, there's going to be more consistency year to year than there is on defense. So I think that the best way to build a football team is to build an offense and then hope that you get a year where your defense all clicks. Fascinating thought to leave us off on. 
As we sign out, a reminder to everybody, please log on to footballoutsiders.com. You can get SIS premium charting data. You can get Football Outsiders projections. There's lots of other stuff for sale there. You can also head on over to sisdatahub.com. You can check out a free trial of the SIS Data Hub. Again, please rate the podcast, like us, let us know what you think. We'll be signing off and we'll talk to you again next week. Have a great weekend.